Tennessee football soiled its britches down in Tuscaloosa on Saturday. The Vols had everything in front of them. Two-score lead at the half. They were dominating in every way. You saw that that, uh, road-losing streak in Tuscaloosa on the ropes, but this Alabama team has been very hard to knock out this year. They certainly were on Saturday. Not one of Nick Saban's best teams, but it might rank among his more resilient and more disappointment for Tennessee and Tuscaloosa. Welcome in to the Volunteer State. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside the Knoxville News Sentinels, Adam Sparks and John Adams. And Adam, we were uh, we were talking, John and I were talking on our other podcast, SEC Football Unfiltered, critically acclaimed podcast. We encourage you to check it out. John and I were talking, um, we start writing our initial columns at halftime usually, or I, I start writing at halftime. John might even get going a little earlier than that because you got to file the, the columns right at the buzzer. You're working on your your game story, I know, throughout the game. And John and I were talking. We were we were getting our Tennessee wins columns queued up. Like I, I know there's there's sort of there's always the chance when Alabama's involved that that it could fall apart. But it just felt like Tennessee. I mean, they owned them for half. And I really was thinking, this is the year the streak in Tuscaloosa ends. What did you see change in the second half? Well, similar to you guys, I sort of, yeah, you know, we all write during the game and sort of guess. Um, I had a, you know, as a, as a beat writer, I'm writing a winner and a loser, so to speak. Uh, winning game story, losing game story for the team that I cover. I had the winner in front of me at halftime, the winning story. And when the fair catch controversial call was made, you know, Bama scored to cut it to 20 to 14. And then there was the odd fair catch call that pinned Tennessee back on its four. Uh, when that happened, Tennessee was still up six. I went ahead and put the winning story to the side and uh, brought up the loser story. And I said, they're, they're losing this game. It's uh, I've seen this one before, not necessarily in this way in the series, but, you felt the momentum immediately. And, you know, here's the thing that gets maybe to the really point of your question is when this team faces adversity, you expect they're going to, they're going to melt down at least on the road, on the road. Mm -hmm. That's the case. When they were at Florida, they were, you know, it's like a basketball, it's like a run in basketball, the 26, nothing run for Florida in the swamp. This time it was a 27 to nothing run by Alabama in Bryant-Denny in the second half. When this team faces some adversity, a call goes against them, uh, a bad coverage uh, exposes an issue in the secondary for a big play, um, there's a dropped pass on offense. I- any of these things happen. It, it, to me, it, it feels like the, the air is just let out immediately on the sideline, on the field, everywhere. And there's just maybe it's just a lack of trust. I asked Josh Hopple after the game, if there's a confidence issue when those things start to snowball. And he immediately said, uh, it's not a confidence issue. And he even doubled down on that. He said, I really, really believe that. It's not a confidence issue, uh, which which raises the question, what's the issue? Um, now, I'm not going to put words in his mouth, but I, I feel like if we gave him some truth serum, he would say the players that we need to overcome that adversity are not on this roster right now. That that's That's the way that I see it. Because last year's team, you hate to keep comparing it to last year, but it's 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 relevant. Last year, when Tennessee would face some adversity, they would 
they would have one or two or three players that they could go to and say, this guy's going to make a play and it's going to turn things around. It's going to quiet down the crowd and, uh, and we'll get this thing back on track. Um, I just don't see, I don't know who that player is on this team. Uh, the quarterback played as well as he has this season. Milton was fine. Um, you know, Squirrel White had a really good first half. The defense was good in the first half, but not the second. It's but but still in all that, you just don't say, well, this one guy is gonna is gonna make the play that turns the thing around. I, I just don't know if they have that guy. Coaches ever aren't ever gonna say that. I don't believe. I mean, because that that makes things seem hopeless. Is well, we're just not we're just not good enough. What what'd you expect? We're playing Alabama uh, at Bryant Denny Stadium. We hadn't won here in twenty years. Of course we're not. Of course we're going to fall apart in the second half. But you can't say that. Uh, it was interesting how you discussed how Tennessee handles adversity. Uh, compare that with what, or contrast that with what Alabama did. Alabama had no momentum, looked in disarray. And as my my first column I was working on, it was I was pretty much burying the tide. Uh, but none of that came to fruition. Uh, this it's interesting about it's not just the team. I mean, I look at I'm I'm not blaming the thing on all on Joe Milton, but he's a quarterback and a team leader. I don't think he handles adversity well. And his his the position he's in when things go bad, they tend to get worse. And uh so I think if Tennessee had a better quarterback it would be less likely for this to happen. But I agree that that overall it probably doesn't have it doesn't have enough game turning players. You look at even the very best teams, when they get in trouble, they usually they usually look to one player. I mean, George has certainly done that with Brock Bowers when George is in a pitch and last year and the year before that with Stetson Bennett. I think there was a sense of confidence. When things were going the wrong way, Georgia said, well, Stetson Bennett, he'll turn it around for us, or Brock Bowers will turn it around for us. And I don't think Tennessee has that kind of player. Yeah, and, and Joe Milton, to his credit, had what was his best performance of the season. I mean, I'm throwing out the the Virginia game because of the level of, of competition. But, yeah, Milton, I mean, he was fantastic in the first half. Couldn't have had really a better first half. I, and his play did drop off in the second half, John, to your point, as did the the rest of the teams. But that was one of the things I was thinking about as Tennessee was letting this slip away was how many times during this losing streak at Tuscaloosa has Alabama been this beatable? And I thought the same thing when Tennessee lost yet again in the swamp this year was how many, how many Florida teams have been this beatable? as as Florida was in the swamp this season. I mean, it's really missed opportunities for Tennessee, you know, particularly in this case. I'm not trying to make Alabama out to be some plucky welterweight, right? Like, I mean, if you look, if you watch Chris Braswell and Dallas Turner, you know Alabama's got some talent. But this team will not rank as one of Alabama's most talented teams that, that Saban's had. And so it was there for the taking, Joe Milton's playing great in the first half. Tennessee had to settle for two field goals inside the 10-yard line. Um, and that, 
in a way that backfired on him. You could talk about the fourth down calls. I don't even want to get into the offici- officiating because I thought John <laughs> had a great line in one of his post-game columns. He called blaming the officials the loser's lament. And it's so true. The the officiating, yes, there were there were some missed calls. Uh, I would argue there were some missed miss calls the other way as well. Probably more missed penalties on Alabama's side. But, you know, that that's just among the laundry list of, of problems that uh, – that went wrong for Tennessee in the second half. And and again, I just kept coming back to what a missed opportunity because this wasn't a number one Alabama team that you could have, you could have toppled, which, which takes a Herculean effort, right? I mean, it took a Herculean effort, even at Neyland stadium for Tennessee to outduel Bryce young last year. All it would have taken was a decent second half on Saturday and they would have ended the streak in Tuscaloosa and, and it, it slipped away from them. Yeah, I think characterizing Alabama in that that game that way uh, is relevant because immediately after the game, and then really for the past two or three days, I've I've answered questions in our text group and my inbox and emails and and all kinds of places about how angry people are about this uh, about this missed opportunity. Um, you know, I, I said to one guy the other day. Uh, but, you know, because obviously I'm getting the stuff. I'm sure you guys have, too, from Tennessee fans that say, you know, Josh Hopple should be on the hot seat. What's Josh Hopple's buyout? Um, Josh Hopple is Butch Jones 2.0. Um, you know, I got a couple of emails from somebody that said they had talked to however many number of boosters, high-end boosters that said they will not tolerate this anymore. You know, these these sort of overreactions. Um, and, and I'm trying to talk down all these people. And I'm saying, what are you, what are you talking about? What? He was the SEC coach of the year like 10 months ago. He he beat Alabama a year ago. You won 11 games in the Orange Bowl earlier this year. It, you know, it's, it's just lunacy, but it's because these fans are not judging this based on, you know, the, the, the fact that they could have beat Alabama. It's that you should have beaten Alabama. And that's how you, I think you're characterizing it, Blake, is that, it was a it was a winnable game, and you're not going to get a lot of those in the series. Certainly not in Tuscaloosa, and the way it started off, where they should have been up twenty one nothing. I think how how close it seemed and how far it ended up is what really got people angry. Because if Tennessee loses by that score to a better Alabama team, an undefeated Alabama team, I think they stomach it easier. If it's a back and forth game. Uh, like similar to two years ago, it was that was a back and forth game. That was a touchdown game in Tuscaloosa two years ago, um, and and then Alabama just you know ran away with it in like the last ten minutes of the game. If people saw that kind of game, I think they could stomach it more. But it's the fact that Tennessee was the better team for at least a half is why people are having a hard time getting over this one. Yeah, I can. You know, I go back, I've covered all those games in the streak there at Bryant-Denny, the previous ones, and uh, Tennessee came close only twice. Uh, 2009 under Lane Kiffin and 2015 when Butch Jones was a coach. But in both of those games, the talent differential was extreme. I I really think the only reason Tennessee was in the game, it kind of sneaked up on Alabama. Those were championship-caliber Alabama teams, and fittingly, Alabama rose to the occasion in the fourth quarter in the fi- uh, final minutes of the game and pulled out both, 12-10 in 2009 and then 2015. It won 19-14 uh, with a, 
a clutch drive uh, by a forgotten Alabama quarterback. Jake Coker led that. Uh, but this was different, as Adam pointed out. You look at this game, and and I kind of looked at the Alabama-Texas A&M game very much the same way. I thought A&M had enough talent to beat Alabama, particularly playing at Kyle Field. So I think we look at everything from a Tennessee perspective. That's the team we're covering. However, you got to give Alabama a lot of credit. Talked about how Tennessee maybe doesn't handle adversity that well, how well Alabama handled it uh, in that game. And in a a tough venue at Kyle Field with 108,000 fans, most of them pulling for Texas A&M. So, and and Blake pointed out they're, they're probably three, I can think of three first round draft picks on Alabama's defense. Uh, so it's not as though it's totally lacking in talent. In fact, I think this Alabama defense is better than last, maybe the last two Alabama defenses. It's a good defense. It just doesn't have the offensive players that we're accustomed to seeing, but, yeah, I, I can understand Tennessee fans' their point of view because so seldom have they even had a shot at this game. And they didn't just have a shot. They're up 27 and looked like it was going to be a blowout. So, yeah. And and one other thing, we, we talk about adversity with the, with the players that maybe this team doesn't handle it as well and maybe it has to do with just not quite enough talent, but – I don't think coaches, the coaches have handled the adversity well. I didn't think they handled it well in Gainesville against Florida, and I didn't think it handled it well against Alabama Saturday at Bryant-Denny. And I think that's an important an important contrast if you look at how Alabama has started to turn things around versus how Tennessee is sort of spinning its tires a little bit because both teams have good defenses. Both teams have quarterback quarterback questions. They certainly did. The difference is, I think Alabama looked at Jalen Milrow and said, you know, he can he can throw a good deep ball and he's mobile. Let's scheme up some things where he can throw a deep ball. And, you know, you saw it on that first pass in the second half. Um, They brought a guy in motion um, inside, inside the slots. They had stacked receivers. It was a similar thing that Tennessee did actually last year with Jalen Hyde in that very game, the Alabama game. Where they would try to they would try to confuse coverages by stacking receivers and bringing one guy in motion, um, and then you would split the safeties. That, that's some of what Jalen Hyatt did last year with his uh, five touchdowns. Um, Alabama did that, schemed that, adjusted to that, and uh, and it looked like they were a step ahead, if not three or four steps ahead of Tennessee when they came out at halftime. So they found ways, and and. I'll say this too. In the previous game, Alabama played, what was it, Arkansas, maybe, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and then AM even a couple weeks, uh, uh a couple weeks ago, a lot of the Jalen Milrow deep passes have been that, have been schemed routes where it's confused coverages. Um, Tennessee, on the other hand, looks kind of like the same. They look kind of like the same offense they did like a month ago, right? I don't know that they're better or worse. We just said Joe Milton played maybe it's best game, but they've sort of been up and down. They're good at this thing one week. They're a little better at this other thing another week. And that's the difference. Alabama has taken what it's had and made it better and utilized its talent. And I think Tennessee, you know, this far into the season is still trying to figure out what that is. Yeah. And it's two straight games in a row now where Tennessee 
uh, has scored just 20 points. It, it beat A&M on the backs of its defense and special teams. Couldn't get it done with just 20 points against Alabama. And then you go back to that loss in the swamp and scored just 16 points in that one. And Adam, you said something interesting earlier that I want to get to next because turning the page, looking ahead, Tennessee, a three and a half point favorite this week at Kentucky, a Kentucky team that uh, was looking great just a few weeks ago after, after trouncing Florida. Well, then reality set in as it often does for Kentucky. Uh, They lost in back-to-back weeks to Georgia and Missouri, but a, a critical moment, I think for Tennessee, because you can look at this schedule and see without twisting your head into some odd places, you can see nine and three here for Tennessee. Maybe they lose to to Georgia at home, but you know, otherwise they take care of business. They go nine and three. And I think do that. And most of the, uh, most Tennessee fans will still be behind Josh Heupel the whole bit, right? They'll be frustrated. They lost to Florida and Alabama. Eventually cooler heads will prevail and, and uh, they'll realize they're nine and three. However, you look at the schedule and as Adam said earlier, Tennessee has struggled to handle adversity on the road at Kentucky this week, Kentucky I know it's not the swamp, but Kentucky fans will treat that game like the Super Bowl. They always do. And then mid-November against a Missouri team that's playing very well, has one of the most exciting offenses in the SEC. You could see Tennessee losing one, if not both of those games. And I think we're, we're talking about a, a very different season. If you go back now, uh, I consider it to be Tennessee has lost their their last four true road games because I don't count Vanderbilt as a true road game. That's a neutral site uh, at worst. I mean, Tennessee fans take over that stadium. It's not just Tennessee fans. Uh, Really any opponent has been doing that at Vanderbilt, right? So we throw the Vanderbilt one out of there uh, at Georgia, at South Carolina last year, they lost at the swamp at Alabama this year, they lost. How seriously do we need to be taking these road woes in light of the fact that you know, there's two what I would call losable games there out in front of Tennessee this week against Kentucky and then Missouri in November. Yeah, I mean, we'll obviously have our answer after the Kentucky-Missouri games because there's there's sort of different ways you could look at this. I think maybe a week or so ago I'd said if you look at the road losses that they've had in the SEC, it's, it's sort of two reasons. Either they were playing a top-10 team or they were playing in one of the loudest environments in college football. Like, so South Carolina would be that second one, even though they weren't a great team. Really, really loud place. Um, and, and you know, this would fit into that because Alabama is a top 10 team. Alabama, that that stadium was not – it was not really that loud. It wasn't an, an elite level. Um, they didn't have to go to the silent snap count or anything like that. They had to do that at Florida. They did it late. Um so if you say that's why they're losing on the road, it's just it's just really, really, really loud or they're playing a top 10 team. Some of that makes sense. But you're not necessarily going to you're not going to get that with Kentucky this week. And you may not get that with Missouri. Uh, neither of those are, you know, I- elite atmospheres. Kentucky will be loud, but it, it's not going to be any louder than Alabama was. Missouri is not going to be loud. Now, Missouri by then may be a top 10 team for all we know. It depends on how they do against Georgia. Um, but so I think we'll have our answer. Is this like, is there, is, is it reasonable reasons why they're losing on the road or they're just bad on the road? Because those two teams would be, if they lost those two, um, they would be outliers for the reasons that they, that they've lost, uh, so far. 
There is a lot on the table. I mean, I don't know how Tennessee fans, it really depends on which ones you ask about how they feel about the ending of this season, because if you take the best and the worst out of this, let's just say they're going to beat UConn and Vanderbilt. So that takes like six and six off the table. Let's just say they're going to lose to Georgia. Uh, may have a chance against Georgia, but let's say they lose to Georgia. So 10 and two is off the table. So you're in the seven and five to nine and three range. Well, nine and three could get you to the Citrus Bowl. You'd probably be battling that with Ole Miss at that point to get the Citrus Bowl if you're nine and three. Uh, eight and four, it's probably like a Rely Quest Bowl, which used to be the Outback. That could be the Gator Bowl. If you're seven and five, which means you're losing to Georgia, Missouri, and Kentucky then you're headed back to the Music City, or then you may wish you could go to the Duke's Mayo Bowl. Uh, you know, so it, some people would say, what's the difference between the Duke's Mayo Bowl and the Gator Bowl and the ReliQuest Bowl? Well, one, one of them's, or a couple of those are in Florida, so I, I would prefer those myself. But it, it, it's a really different feel because seven and five means, eh, you just barely get over 500. You're not even really, the, you're maybe the middle of the pack in the SEC. If you're nine and three, that means you're you're like the best teams that get didn't get into the playoff hunt. And I think there's something to say for that. If you're nine and three, and again, you have to beat Missouri and Kentucky to get to nine and three, probably. If you get to nine and three, this team is one win worse than last year. And that would be laughable. That would be unbelievable if this team finished only one loss, uh, one game behind last year's team. Cause I think last year's team at this point would have beat this team before touchdowns. So th- there's, so there's, you know, you can kind of go either way with this, but it really, it's going to come down to how they do on the road. Cause I don't think you can necessarily pencil in beating Georgia and Neyland. So you got two road games and you got two very winnable games, but they're going to have to figure out how to play a complete game. And they have not done that on the road yet. Yeah, optics matter, and uh, the to me the difference between nine and three and seven and five is nine and three. You're playing in the Citrus Bowl, and you got that little trophy of nice looking citrus fruits in front of you. Seven and five, uh, you could be playing in the Mayo Bowl, and your coach is getting slathered in mayonnaise uh, after winning the Mayo. I mean, what an what an image that is, right? To cap off a seven and five season is your your coach getting dunked in mayo. That's not what you want. You, and you, also, want to, you want to play in the Citrus Bowl. And also, like a seven and five year means that Josh Hopple's tenure hit the ceiling last year, and you're never going to get back there again. That would be the feeling of it because he was seven and five in the regular season's first year. Well, if you're seven and five and then you're 11 and two and then you're seven and five again, then it's saying last year was just an anomaly uh, that they're not going to get back there. But if you're nine and three this year, that says, okay, maybe maybe if last year was maybe your peak, nine and three is now your valley. And then then you start to talk about playoff teams in the future. So it's a, it's a very different feel when you look at, at all three years together, and that's how Tennessee fans are going to look at it because it's always about trajectory. It's who have you recruited for future years, who did you get in the portal for future years, and where is this thing headed? And seven and five and nine and three look like they're headed in different directions. Yeah, go back to last season. Tennessee, of course, yeah, almost made the college football playoff, folded there against South Carolina, but it finishes on uh, on an uptick by beating a nationally a top ten team in Clemson in the Orange Bowl, wins eleven games. I think that's another advantage of a nine and three season, uh, even at nine and three as opposed to ten and two. 
you could play a pretty good team in a bowl game. Uh, so the, uh, a really strong performance at 10 and win the bowl game at 10 and three, you're knocking on the top 10 door still. And, and I think that's significant in terms of image that, that Adam's talking about. How is the program perceived from a recruiting point, just from a fan point, from an NIL perspective? You got you went back to back. You have back to back 10 plus win, 10 and 11 win seasons. Tennessee hasn't done that since I think it was 03 and 04. It won 10 games each year. So that that's 19 years ago. So that really, that really impacts the image of the program. I don't think, you know, we're talking about seven and five or nine and three. I don't think fans are going to be happy with eight and four because it's a drop off from 11 and two. Yeah, it, you're right. It's better. It's better than seven and five and you could still go nine and four, which is good as any other coach has done at Tennessee since the Philip Fulmer days. But I, I still think fans, they're going to look back on those Alabama and Florida games and think those are games we should have won. We could beat those teams. Those teams aren't any better than we are. And so we squandered opportunities. And I think that I just, so I don't think eight and four will do it for them. And, and also eight and four, that runs the risk of going eight and five by losing a bowl game. So I think it's, uh, Nine and three is kind of the the record that Tennessee fans would get would be okay with, but anything less than that, I don't think they'll be real happy about. Uh, imagine what think about the criticism that Joe Milton has had this year, and think about Joe Milton winning the Citrus Bowl and being the Citrus Bowl MVP at ten and three, and we would have back to back years of a photo <laughs> with Joe Milton throwing tropical fruit around. <laughs> As the and the media guy next year would have those side by side. Joe Milton owns Florida Bowls, and he would go down as one of the best in in the history of of the program. There's no doubt. I'd hate to get get hit by a piece of fruit that Joe Milton threw. That would he probably overthrow you. We've seen it before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not at you, but we've seen it before. Okay. Yeah, I think you make a good point with eight and four, John, and and for a couple reasons. One, if Tennessee were to finish eight and four, it means losing to uh, I either or Kentucky or Missouri. And even though Missouri's having a nice season, ten, losses to Kentucky and or, or Missouri don't sit sit well with this fan base. And they're not going to say, "Well, it was on the road." Missouri's having a nice season. No, I mean. It, they're going to be frustrated about losing to Missouri because Tennessee thinks it's a better program than Missouri. And historically it has been, even though Missouri's had some success against Tennessee more so than K- Kentucky has. So that's one reason. Number two, if you go 10 and three, let's say, let's say they lose to Georgia, they go nine and three, they win a bowl game. You've met the preseason expectations. We go back to the preseason polls. Tennessee was ranked preseason number 12 by the AP ranked number preseason number 10 by the coaches. I'd say if you go 10 and three, win a good bowl game, I think there's a pretty good chance you're going to finish in the national top 12 of the rankings. So you avoid losing to Kentucky and Missouri. You meet the preseason expectations. I think uh, you nod your head and say, okay, you know, didn't, didn't fall off much after last year and full steam ahead. So I, I think again, perception matters. How you get to this point matters. Tennessee fans just, they're not going to take well to losing to either Kentucky or Missouri on the heels of 
of blowing it to, to Alabama. So I, I think that's, that's important. And, and there's a, there's a trust factor on the line here between Tennessee fans and Josh Hopple, I think. Um, because the, the narrative going into this year was Josh Hopple can do no wrong in terms of his offense and his quarterbacks. He had Hendon Hooker, and now he's got Joe Milton, who's going to be an NFL draft pick. I'm talking about preseason perspective. And then he's bringing Nico in after that. And this is just going to be an un, unbroken line of great quarterbacks. Well, now that, that Joe Milton has struggled, people start to look back and say, well, you know, he didn't even pick Hendon Hooker. That one sort of fell in his lap. So he may have gotten lucky with him, and Joe Milton hasn't hasn't really developed like we thought he would. And Nico should be playing. Why isn't Nico playing? Have they not developed him? Why isn't he ready? Is he a bust? And you have all these questions. So if Joe Milton is playing the rest of the year, which I think he probably will um, as the starter, and you're seven and five or eight and four, then there's more question marks about Josh Hopple and his offense and him developing quarterbacks that goes into next year. If they go nine and three, people will, you know, gloss over sort of the issues that Milton had to some extent. And they're going to say, well, it ended up in the right place. And, uh, you know, he got it back on track. And to be a bad year, it was a great bad year. And now Nico will take the keys. And this will be remembered more as, again, that unbroken line of good quarterbacks. And it was a little bit of a dip, but it wasn't much of one. So I, I think that the narratives around Josh Hopple and how great of an offensive mind and quarterback guru that he is will depend on how they finish this this next month and a half of the season. Yeah, well, I, I'm guilty as charged on that because I became a devout believer in his offensive uh, expertise and in his system that I really kind of thought, well, he can just plug anybody in there and he's going to score a bunch of points and gain a bunch of yards. Uh, not looking just at Tennessee, but looking at what he did at UCF. I know it's a different level of uh, it's it's below the SEC, but also the level of competition. You're you probably don't have the opportunity to attract as many good players, so it's kind of a level playing field in that league too. And even going back to when he was an offense coordinator at Missouri, he just his system has produced a lot of points and a lot of yards. Uh, but probably I failed to give Hendon Hooker enough credit. And I, I think it's not so important whether you get a four or five star or maybe even get a three-star quarterback, but how well does your quarterback fit your system? And I really don't think this is the best system for Joe Milton. I think he could do better in a different kind of offense than he does does this one. An offense where he might just be dropping back and throwing the ball, more of a pro-style offense. I just don't think this offense is suited for him, and he's trying to make it work. Heupel's trying to make it work. And so many times it just hasn't worked. I, I sense a lot of angst with Josh Heupel, and he hides it well, but at the end of the press conference the other night uh, when he gave his last remark, he wadded up the stat sheet in front of him and walked out and, you know, in a huff as much as Josh Heupel, affable Josh Heupel can be. <laughs> I, 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 I sense a frustration in him that, you know, his quarterback doesn't necessarily process things as quickly as he wants to. So that they're not doing tempo as much. Now, it's not just Joe Milton. There's other pieces there, including the receivers. But it, it, it's so they're not going fast like he wants to go fast. He's held that over opponents for years. I'll go faster than you can than you can adjust. So he doesn't have that. Um, he's scheming up uh, plays that are not open 
Uh, he had Caleb Webb uh, on a one-on-one -on -one the other night. Caleb Webb could not, the redshirt freshman, could not get behind the defense. A faster receiver does. He, he schemed up Dante Thornton for a for sort of a, a, a post or a slant near the end zone. Wide open, he drops it, and there's been a lot of drops this year. Jacob Warren, he schemes up. It goes off of his fingertips. What he's scheming is there, and it's not working. The play, he wants the players to go faster, and they can't, so he's having to, to pull back on his tempo. He wants to be aggressive in everything, but he doesn't have the offense and the personnel to be aggressive. Case in point, when, when they're trying to hold on to their lead, they're running the ball, they're throwing short. He's being conservative in his play calling, yet when they get to fourth and one, he keeps going for it. Well, one of those is conservative, and one of those is aggressive. You know, they're, they're sort of, I don't know if incongruent is the word. It doesn't, it doesn't match up. And so he's not comfortable in what he wants to be because he doesn't have the pieces. And uh, I think he's frustrated by that. If Josh Hopal coaches that game more like Nick Saban would coach that game or Kirby Smart or a lot of these old school coaches, I don't know that he stops the bleeding. I don't know that he wins the game, but I think it's certainly closer because those coaches love to be in a let's get three first downs and then punt it type of game. Uh, Josh Hopal is 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 trying to force the issue and compensate for bad personnel by, by gambling in ways that he probably shouldn't. Yeah, and he might consider uh, putting his uh, uh, six foot five, two hundred forty pound quarterback through about fifteen minutes of quarterback sneak practice uh, every week. So that play is is in uh, this team's arsenal uh, today. Today, Blake at the press conference, uh -huh. uh, one of the re TV reporters asked, "Why don't you do the tush push?" Yeah, right, which is what the Jalen Hurts does with the uh, uh, and Josh Hopple acted like he had never heard that before, and <laughs> he said, "What? What? What do you mean? What is that? I, I don't know what that is." And then he talked about why they gave some, you know, whatever answer about why they they do fourth and one the way that they do. And then uh, and then after we're sort of off the air or whatever, he he walks out of the press conference room and he he yells as he usually does some little funny thing and he says, "What's the tush push again? What is that?" And uh, I said, "You got to watch NFL games or something." He said, "Oh, would that be maybe what the Eagles do?" I'm just guessing. Mm -hmm. Is that the Eagles? So he 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 knew he knew that question would come. Um, he's really good at deflecting when he knows some criticism is coming. Um, and I, I think he feels a lot of criticism and, uh, in the presser the other night, he, when people ask him what was going wrong, he would say me comma, and then other people, players, assistant coaches, but he would start it with me. And I think deep down, he knows that he's not coaching this team in the way, uh, that he should. And in his self scout, I, I would think that's coming up. We haven't talked a ton about Kentucky, guys, but this is a, a potentially dangerous game for Tennessee and Josh Heupel because it's one of these opponents that because of Tennessee's history against Kentucky, you don't get much credit for winning this game. But boy, if you lose it, you get blasted. I mean, just ask Derek Dooley, Butch Jones, and Jeremy Pruitt about that. Losses to Kentucky factored prominently into the end of their tenures. Now, I'm not saying that would be the case with Josh Heupel, but I am saying there would be mounting criticism uh, for a loss Saturday. And, and like I said, because of Tennessee's history, you just don't get a ton of credit for beating Kentucky, even if it is on the road. So closing thoughts, guys, we, we've talked about how a couple tricky games ahead for Tennessee, even taking Georgia out of the mix, being that Kentucky and Missouri are on the road. 
Missouri's the better team on paper. Really, our eyeballs tell us that too. Can anybody? Can can either of you make the case that Kentucky of the two of those though between Missouri and 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 Kentucky that that Kentucky is the bigger threat to Tennessee this season? Boy, that's tough. I mean, Kentucky has a is coming off a bye week, I believe, uh, an off yeah. week. Yeah. So they they should be prepared. I think the atmosphere in Kentucky, again, back to the road woes. Um, I think the atmosphere in Kentucky will be tougher to deal with as compared to Missouri, um, if that means anything. Kentucky will be hungry for this game. Between those two, Missouri can score points, and I'm not sure if Tennessee can score points. Kentucky isn't necessarily going to score a bunch, and so I think that could be closer to what like a Texas A&M type game would be for Tennessee. So it, it's it's hard to make that case, but the stakes are higher because if, you know, if Josh Hopple loses to Kentucky immediately within five minutes, within five seconds of that game being over, you will hear, you know, Butch Jones comparisons and those things you just brought up, Blake. I'm not saying that would be fair, but that would, that would bring them up because the only, the only thing worse for a Tennessee coach than losing uh, to Kentucky is losing to Vanderbilt because those seem to be make statements about, again, that trajectory in the whole tenure that puts a stain on your tenure in a way that losing to Missouri, that would not be good, but you know, people don't have that connection or history in Missouri. They would just look at it. Tennessee feds would look at it. You lost a game. You should have won. You're better than Missouri, but Kentucky would be that, that would be, that would be a, a bigger statement. I really think Kentucky might be done. Um, that wasn't that long ago. Kentucky was five and zero going to head to head with Georgia there at Sanford Stadium, and it didn't go to TCU depths, but it really got waylaid in that game. I think it was fifty-one to thirteen or some outrageous score. Afterward, Mark Stoops is talking about Georgia's great NIL deals. That's not the message I want to send to my team. If you send that message to your team, it's like. You might start them thinking, hey, you know, I could get more money if I'd go transfer to Georgia. Why am I here at Kentucky? Mark Stoops is saying our NIL deals aren't good enough. That's the wrong message to send to a team. And talk about Tennessee struggling with handling adversity. My gosh, Kentucky against Kentucky against Missouri, it gets it gets up 14 to nothing. And when Missouri makes a comeback, it's just all over with. I mean, Kentucky got absolutely steamrolled. I just don't think Kentucky's very good right now, and I think it, it's it got big problems down the stretch. So I don't have any question about what's a tougher game. And I think Adam might be underselling Missouri's uh, home field. I don't think he's watched the Tigers enough at Faroe Field this year. I watched him against Kansas State. Afternoon game, but Missouri fans were into it. Uh, so... Uh, Agreed in the past, uh, uh, Missouri's family, you, you hardly notice you're at a football game when you're playing there. But I think it's a little different atmosphere this year and a better team. So, no, to me, Kentucky's the much easier opportunity for Tennessee to pull off a win. I know what that terrible post-game press conference area is for visiting teams at, at Missouri. Uh, Shane Beamer was taking shots at them the other <laughs> yeah. day, which he should not do. Shane Beamer needs to stop criticizing anybody especially after losses but i will say i felt his pain 
because I've, I've done interviews down there where you're, where you're yelling at the coach because uh, there's, an, there's an 18-wheeler starting up about five feet behind <laughs> your head and, and a band playing over you and players just wandering around eating food and it's 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 not it's not the best setup. By the way, we we've haven't we done this narrative before with Kentucky? Kentucky always has a soft non-conference schedule. They have a good record early on, and then they fall off the map. And you say, well, that was that wasn't real. They actually weren't were never really good. And then the Tennessee game comes up, and the Tennessee game is Kentucky's opportunity, their chance to say what we were early in the season is what we actually are. And you'll know it when we beat Tennessee. And then they don't beat Tennessee, and then you know that—that's just sort of how it goes. I, I think that's the same thing here. I think this is a—if we beat Tennessee, it'll mean we're actually a good team this year. If we don't, then it'll mean we had a soft schedule. All right, Adam will have all the coverage of the game and the lead up to that one in Lexington over at KnoxNews.com. You can find John's commentary, and we will be back with you on the Volunteer State next week. Thanks for listening.